All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here, now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so feel free to listen on either platform, remember, very exciting. Speaking of exciting, week one of the NFL season looked like a huge success, a lot of stadiums without fans, really it it didn't look that much different on TV, I'm sure it was much different for the players, we'll get into that in this episode, week one of the NFL, along with... The NBA Conference Finals set, both in the East and the West. We've got the Heat versus the Celtics, Nuggets versus the Lakers. We'll discuss how we got there, what we expect, what we think going forward in the NBA playoffs. MLB nearing its postseason as well. They're going to have themselves a playoff bubble for the 16 teams that qualify this year. Who's in, who's out at this point, who shouldn't be there in terms of teams that would have never made the postseason if this was a regular MLB 2020 season. But anyways, great episode today. Oh, and maybe the the best piece of news, Big Ten football is back officially now. We had hot mic gaffes, rumors for weeks, but now since it was canceled over a month ago, we are getting the Big Ten back. Fantastic. Everything is starting to come back slowly to normal in terms of COVID-19. Absolutely love it. All the begging we did for Big Ten football here, especially on on this podcast as well for Wisconsin because, you know, they're going to make the college football playoffs, no question about it. But anyways, it's all starting to come back around to normalcy a little bit, little by little. Absolutely love it. But let's go ahead now and get started with the NFL Week 1 then. Great football in Week 1, and one of the reasons could be how few of penalties that there were in Week 1, holding penalties especially. Um, I think it was something like 18 holding penalties called all of week one compared to an average of over 70. 70 holding penalties usually in week one of an NFL season. This week we had 18 or something around 18. I mean, so football looks really good when the whistle is being swallowed. But here we go, 2020 season underway. Where else to start than in Green Bay, of course, where you were all so worried about Aaron Rodgers. Even some of you in Green Bay, I know you were worried, especially with what they did in the 2020 draft drafting Jordan Love, then drafting a, a third running back in, in A.J. Dillon. You were, some of you were worried that the Packers were giving up on Aaron Rodgers. As Stephen A. Smith would put it from ESPN, that bad man in Green Bay. Packers winning over the Vikings, 43-34. Rodgers with just an absolute perfect day, 32 of 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. Had a QBR of 92.9 that's out of 100 I think that was the highest in week one a passer rating of 127.5 if you're going to ask me what the difference is between QBR and pass rating I have no idea people like to use both whichever one favors their argument they're going to use if they're trying to (laughs) discuss a quarterback has a bad pass rating but they have a pretty decent QBR and they want to say this quarterback's been playing poorly they'll use pass rating if they want to say this quarterback has been playing well and the QBR supports them, they'll use that one. Do I know the difference? No. But Aaron Rodgers had a high QBR and a high pass rating. So if they're both high, that makes me think he had a really good week, (laughs) which of course he did. Devontae Adams, of course, if Aaron Rodgers does well, you're probably going to see a pretty good week from Devontae Adams. 14 receptions, that's tying a franchise record. I believe it was Don Hudson's record that he tied there with 14 receptions, 156 yards, two touchdowns. If you remember on my last episode, I was giving predictions for possible offensive player of the year. I went with Christian McCaffrey with just the sheer workload that he's going to get. Another guy that I mentioned, Devontae Adams, because of how clearly he is the number one and number two wide receiver on the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is going to be targeting him all the time. With this performance from Aaron Rodgers, it's funny to me how the the narrative has changed on him from the draft, at least. When they drafted Jordan Love to how long till Aaron Rodgers goes, how long before he's either traded or signed to the new team, how long until Jordan Love steps in. Here we get week one, Jordan Love is inactive. Rodgers has this fabulous game. And now, of course, the narrative changed from zero weapons in the offseason also to Love is is already a bust, which I don't understand. He he just didn't suit up week one. They, started, they suited up other guys that might be actually playing to a wasted draft pick. Everybody, as Aaron Rodgers used to say, relax. It's week one. Jordan Love, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I, I of course, love the, the performance. 
third MVP talk already from from this week one performance. Like I said, everybody needs to tone it down a bit. I'll hype up the MVP talk with Aaron Rodgers, no question about it, after performance like this. But anyways, for everything else, the narrative has flipped 180 degrees from when will Jordan Love start to was this a wasted draft pick. One week into the season already. Just relax. It's not a wasted draft pick. Rodgers sat for three years. That's obviously not a wasted draft pick. If Love sits for three years and we get the same kind of career Love, not the same kind of career from Love as Rodgers, but a similar career from Love as Rodgers, that would be a huge success and, of course, a fantastic pick in that sense. But it's just funny that uh, how the narrative flipped with, with Aaron Rodgers to how the team didn't help him with any weapons. All of a sudden, he throws over 350 yards, four touchdowns, spreads it around to his wide receivers, Alan Lazard. Marquez Valdez-Scantling look really good as well with four catches, close to 100 yards, and a touchdown. Now, all of a sudden, Aaron has plenty of weapons, and this team has an explosive offense, and they're a Super Bowl contender. I thought they were a Super Bowl contender before what we saw in Week 1, but now if their offense, like I said, in Year 2 under Matt LaFleur... Looks this good. This is really exciting for Packers fans. And like I said, continuity, continue, keeping the same head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback, a lot of the same players. A lot of that is going to help these guys in this unique offseason where we see new teams, new teams meaning new head coaches, new quarterbacks, new systems, new offensive coordinators. Those teams, I think, are going to struggle more. There's always been talk about a year two jump in an offense with its new head coach or its new offensive coordinator. We've seen it when the Falcons had Kyle Shanahan. We saw it now when the 49ers had Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay with the Rams. Matt LaFleur comes from this same coaching tree, and now we're starting, hopefully we're going to continue seeing this offense improve in year two with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. Fantastic win, 43 points in week one. I, I thought a lot of people were talking up this Vikings defense. I I thought they would struggle a little bit. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of new pieces, especially since they were missing Daniil Hunter. Yannick Ngakwe, the defensive end they traded for from Jacksonville, really wasn't in camp that long. It was funny, though. He's tried to use that as an excuse for why David Bakhtiari owned him in week one. doesn't matter if you were in camp for three years, buddy. David Bakhtiari would have owned you anyways. <laughs> but anyways, he wants a rematch against David Bakhtiari. Don't worry. He'll get one. The defense... Like I said, is, is starting some rookies, starting a lot of new guys. Not a lot of continuity on that defense. Rodgers and the Packers offense really attacked that young defense in the secondary with Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler. Didn't have the pass rush that they usually had, even after the Packers suffered two huge losses on the offensive line in Lane Taylor and then their right tackle, or I'm sorry, Lucas Patrick, their right guard, also went out. So... Even even with those guys going down, the Packers really didn't suffer much in pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Wasn't sacked in this game. They were missing Daniil Hunter, like I said, so Rodgers was able to take advantage and go after this young secondary. One thing, though, to keep an eye on for the Packers, not kind of really being talked about a lot, possibility of losing Kenny Clark for more than one game, had to exit game one here against the Vikings. I think they said with a groin injury. He's been questionable this whole week, rehabbing most of the week. Hopefully, if it's a, if he's missing time, it's not an extended period of time. I, I would honestly consider Kenny Clark one of the five most important players on this Packers team outside of Aaron Rodgers, David Boxiari, and then Devontae Adams and Adam Clark. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark. Those are your top four most important players on this team, I believe. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, quarterback, left tackle. But then with Kenny Clark, that is the best player on your defense, the guy that the Packers already struggle against the, on the against the run. So, and if you lose a guy like that, who knows what teams could do against this defense in, in running up the middle. They have a new linebacker in Christian Kirksey and some other injuries there as well. When they lost, inside linebacker, fifth-round draft pick this year, Kamal Martin. So we'll see. Hopefully he, he'll be able to come back sooner rather than later. But I think Kenny Clark missing time could be huge for the Packers in terms of, of what it could do for their defense and, and really hurt them in, in a lot of ways there. So hopefully he doesn't miss a lot of time. One of their best 
one of their top four most important players on this team. All right, other games in week one all around the league. A lot of great games. Brady and the Bucks struggle week one, losing to the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady, 23 of 36, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a rushing touchdown as well. I figured the Bucks would struggle coming out of the gate. Like I said, new offense, new quarterback, new system. Quarterbacks got to get on the same page as wide receivers. We saw that a couple times with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I think they'll figure it out. Tom Brady, possibly considered the greatest quarterback of all time. He'll figure it out. He'll get on the same page with these wide receivers. Just going up against a team like the Saints, one of the top three or four contenders for the Super Bowl in the NFC. It's not going to be that easy. Drew Brees with a pretty light day as well, and the Saints still won this easily. He only went 18 of 30, 160 yards, two touchdowns. A big thing, though, to keep an eye on, Michael Thomas, the star wide receiver, last year's Offensive Player of the Year, possibly out with a significant high ankle injury. We're not sure if he'll be missing this upcoming week or weeks to come, too, but that could really have an impact on this on the Saints offense. They don't really have... I mean, they have Emmanuel Sanders at wide receiver, but he's a good number two wide receiver on your team. You're missing a guy like Michael Thomas, the Saints offense, could become way more reliant on Elvin Kamara. He got his new contract just before the season started, but still, teams start to focus in on Kamara where they don't have to focus on Michael Thomas as well. It could spell a little bit of trouble for, for Breeze and, and the Saints office, but they get a week one win against a division opponent in Brady and the Bucks. And someone they'll see later on midseason. So that's a good win for the Saints there. 34-23. Russell Wilson lived up to my MVP hype with his performance in the 38-25 win over the Falcons. I mean, listen to these stats. 31 of 35. Only four incompletions. 322 yards. Four touchdowns. Had as many touchdowns as incompletions in this game. It's just incredible. Had to overcome... 450 yards passing from Matt Ryan, 150-plus yards receiving from Julio, 130 yards, two touchdowns from Calvin Ridley. Tons of hype now for Russell Wilson for MVP after a lot of people this offseason have been talking about how a guy that ranked number two in the NFL 100 list this past 2020 season has never had one MVP vote. So that's something that everybody has been bringing up whenever they talk Seahawks. I think there's a storyline for Russell Wilson. Now with this performance against the Falcons to get the season started, Russell Wilson is probably your lead man for the MVP already in week one. I know I'm talking lead guys for, for MVP already after after one week. It's it's way too soon, of course. But this is how MVP awards are kind of won. It starts in the offseason with storylines being, being brought up about certain players. So, for example, this Russell Wilson one. How has he never won, How has he never gotten at least one MVP vote? Is kind of the talk right now. So, and then, of course, he comes out in Week One and has this spectacular performance against the Atlanta Falcons with only four incompletions and four touchdowns, over 300 yards passing. So that, of course, helps to the new storyline and the new front runner for the MVP and Russell Wilson, which everybody is is kind of pushing for now. The Seahawks also only had 16 runs by running backs in Week One. So, I mean. That's another thing, too. If the Seahawks, who have been a run-first offense for a lot of these past season, which is why Russell Wilson hasn't gotten that MVP vote somehow, which is still ridiculous, but if they become more of a let Russell Wilson throw, Russell Wilson can win you games <laughs> no matter what, then that then we'll see Russell Wilson get his first MVP possibly this offseason. But Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, right now the two front runners. For the MVP, I mean, after week one, I don't want to say front runners. I can't believe I just said that. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm sorry. No front runners for MVP until we get at least like six weeks into the season. All right, that's the earliest we can have a front runner. No front runners. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, forget it. Not front runners yet. All right. Also, in, in, in week one, we'll continue here. Chiefs and Ravens cruise in week one. Ravens absolutely blowing out the Browns, who just got, I believe, I just got done watching the Browns beat the Bengals here on Thursday Night Football. So the Browns still look pretty good, but against the Ravens, they looked absolutely horrible. You should have. The talking points on the Browns was everybody was panicking already. It's week one. If your team lost, don't panic yet, depending on how they lost. Even the Browns, who had just a horrible performance against the Ravens, the Ravens are going to be that good. They beat the Browns 38-6. to 
Lamar Jackson, AFC Player of the Week, like 20 for 25, three tu- three passing touchdowns. Incredible for, for the Ravens there, getting off to a good start with a division opponent. The Chiefs, of course, had Thursday Night Football Week 1 against the Texans. I think I mentioned this already, that offense looks really good, and if this defense is adequate, which it is, it's got a pass rush, it's got secondary players, it's got linebackers, this team is going to be really hard to stop. They won, I believe, like 34-20 over the Texans in Week 1. Other other notable performances, Cam Newton with an impressive debut against, with the Patriots against the Dolphins. 15 carries, 75 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Also went 15 of 19 for 150 yards pass, 155 yards passing. Just impressive. He looks healthy. If they run with him like 10 plus times a game, though, hopefully he can stay healthy. We'll see what Bill Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels have for a game plan there. Remember, in my predictions, I had the Patriots making the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. I mean, they look really good right now. If Cam Newton stays healthy, I think they'll be in the playoffs. I just I just have that much faith in Bill Belichick. But Cam Newton looked really good in his New England Patriots debut. Joe Burrow, another big, important debut in Week 1 and Week 2 now after they just lost to the Browns. Falls short, but he looks good. He just threw 60 passes this past Thursday night. 61 passes, his first over 300-yard passing game. No interceptions in this Week 2 loss to the Browns. I believe two touch, two or three touchdowns. He looks good. His team has just fallen short. The defense is, is falling. I mean, they had a chance to go to overtime in Game 1, and his kicker <laughs> his kicker cramps up on the potential game-tying field goal. I don't know how it happens, but that was just the funniest thing to see. When you shank a field goal like that, you better grab your leg for an excuse in that sense. So that was unfortunate for Joe Burrow and the Bengals, but they start the season off 0-2. I didn't think they were going to be a team in contention for the playoffs, but Joe Burrow looks good in these first two games of the season so far. And then here are my surprise victories from Week 1. Cardinals 24-20 over the 49ers. 49ers fall short. I mean, we had Kyler Murray, let's see here, over 90 yards rushing, a rushing touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins, their new acquisition at wide receiver, over 150 reception yards. 14 catches in his debut. I was worried that since in the training camp, he was being held out. He wanted a new contract. He was sitting out some practices. There was some injury-related news as well. I wasn't sure if they were going to be on the same page at all. No problems there. They were able to put up a late-game TD to put them over the top of the 49ers. No need to panic for the 49ers. The Cardinals are a good team this year. I don't have them as a playoff team, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were vying for that seventh, that new wild card spot in the playoffs this year. I think they'll be close right around that 8-9 seed. I think I have them at 8-8, eight 7-9 and, eight, and nine around this season. So the Cardinals are a good team. Nothing to panic about for the 49ers as well. So I think they'll be fine. The Washington football team, this one, actually there's two of them here that I'm about to say that, that really just surprised the hell out of me. Washington football team scored 27 unanswered points in a comeback win against the Eagles. Eagles have just been struggling already with the injury bug, especially on that offensive line. They gave up eight sacks to Chase Young in that Washington defense. That Washington front line, defensive line, has, what is it now? I think they have five first-round picks on that on that defensive line. Incredible. Two Alabama guys, Chase Young, Montez Sweat on the other side. All those guys rounded up eight sacks on the depleted Eagles offensive line. Impressive win for the Washington football team. In my predictions, remember, I only had them having two. So here's one. Now they got to get one more, and they've already got me beat in that sense. Also, the Jacksonville Jaguars shocking the Indianapolis Colts with a 27-20 win. I had the Colts as one of those teams that I thought with Phillip Rivers now with a top-five offensive line, some offensive weapons, that they could be a Super Bowl contender with him on that team. But, man, the same thing came and, and bit Phillip Rivers in Week 1 with some late-game interceptions again. T.Y. Hilton had a couple of big drops at the end of the game as well. Gardner Minshew, Minshew Mania, is back in 2020. Never went away. It's still here. He went 19 of 20 and three touchdowns. Only one incompletion all game, three touchdowns. Minshew Mania is here to stay. I only had the Jaguars with three wins as well, and there's one of theirs right there. So, I mean, just the, the Washington football team 
and the Jaguars proven me wrong already with my projections. And then last one, Bears. Chicago Bears had a 17-point comeback win in the fourth quarter against the Lions. Lions had a chance to win the game, and their rookie running back, second-rounder DeAndre Swift, with just an inexplicable drop in the end zone. Oh, man. You just feel bad for the Lions and, and DeAndre Swift right there. That's one that's tough to live down where you had it wide open. I think he just took his hands, his eyes off the ball. Not his hands. They just dropped it at that point. <laughs> but anyways, Mitch Trubisky was proving me right. If you remember last week's final, final thought of how I applauded the Bears and was loving the fact that they named Mitch Trubisky their starting quarterback, he was proving me right in the first three quarters. And then he had a spectacular comeback in quarter number four, and, and it came back with a 17-point comeback victory there against the Lions. So that is your week one roundup. Fantastic week one of football. I mean, we already we have the, the COVID numbers, too, with the Browns and the Bengals playing Thursday night football already. Zero of their guys. The Cleveland Browns went to Baltimore, and the Bengals hosted the Chargers in week one. Zero. Players, coaches, all staff tested positive for COVID-19 before game two. So we know now the travel, they were able to work that out. That is fantastic. That is great. Very excited there. We had some fans in the stands at games. We did learn today that one fan at a Chiefs game tested positive, not necessarily at the game. We don't know when that happened, but they do contact tracing even on fans. So they believe, the Chiefs do, that they have the incident isolated to those who have been in close contact with him as well, the people that he was sitting by, if he went to the vendors. They believe they have it isolated already. And honestly, to me, that is better than some getting it without going to these games and stuff like that and not knowing it. People aren't doing contact tracing on their own. So, I mean, the Chiefs are asking these people to isolate whether others on, on others may not be if they didn't go to this game. So, I mean, I don't think one fan at a Chiefs game testing positive should deter from allowing fans in the stands at other games as well. I mean, as more teams start allowing more and more fans to attend these games, I hope this doesn't deter it. I don't think it will at all. I mean, it's starting to get back to normal. It's great. Positive tests may happen, but the way the Chiefs handle it is the best way we can do it, I believe. And once we do that, I think we have to live as normal of lives as we used to in these terms or as normal as we can. And that seems to be happening, and, and football is back, so it's very exciting. It's all starting to seem a little bit normal now at this point as well. So that's great to see. Hopefully that Chiefs fan is okay, of course, but I think the Chiefs have done a fantastic job at handling that so far. And then, of course, we still have the social justice that all these teams were doing with the Black National Anthem before the National Anthem, and some teams deciding to stay out on the field, some deciding to stay in the locker room, some kneeling during the National Anthem. I mean, still, everyone is watching football. For those that say they aren't going to watch, the ratings are telling us that you are. So that's why these teams, when they have your attention, are going to use their platform for what they believe is right and what they're fighting for. So, I mean, the Bucks saints game, for example, was the most watched primetime afternoon game in, I believe, four years. Um, I thought the social justice move messages were appropriate by the NFL as well. I thought everything went great. And the Vikings, for example, the Vikings and Packers game, the Vikings bringing in George Floyd's family to honor him, especially since that, that game was in Minnesota, was a nice symbolic gesture as well. Everything seemed to go really smoothly for the NFL in week one. I thought it was just a great week of football and, and got everything started off on the right foot. So that was just really exciting to watch. I'm, I'm excited for week two and the rest of the season, crossing our fingers for a healthy season as well and a, and a full season. So it looked good to start the season. Great job. And I'm very excited for the rest of it as well. All right. Why don't we move on now to the NBA conference finals? I mentioned this earlier. We are set now with the conference finals in the Western conference and the Eastern conference. Western Conference, we have the Nuggets versus the Lakers, the one and the three seed. In the Eastern Conference, we have the Heat and the Celtics, the three and the five seed. How did we get here? Let's start with the Eastern Conference. The Heat, in their first round, they swept the Pacers. Then they courtesy swept the Bucks in the second round, winning that one 4-1. to one. They're already up 2-0 on the Celtics. Now, they are 10-1 to start these playoffs. Now, the Celtics, how they got here, they swept the 76ers. In round one, forcing some some questions there with their head coach. I believe they fired their head coach, but the questions 
more pertain to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But that's a discussion for a different time, maybe after the season at this point. Then they had a grueling seven-game series against the Toronto Raptors where they come away with a Game 7 victory, moving them on to the Eastern Conference Finals. We already have the Heat up 2-0 in this series. Game 1, overtime, fantastic. Just an incredible block from Bam Adebayo. His hand was in the rim. If you haven't seen the pictures or the play even, you have to go see this play. It's just incredible, his block on Jason Tatum's dunk attempt. That sealed Game 1 for them. Game two, a comeback here where they were down 17 points at one point. Come back, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, these guys propelling them to a game two victory as well, and now they're up 2-0. That's how we get here to this Eastern Conference Finals, heat up 2-0 in this one. Who advances? Right now it's hard to bet against Miami. Like I said, they are 10-1 in these playoffs so far. But I honestly think the Celtics can still win this series. I if you, I'm I'm going to take the Celtics in 7 games. Jason Tatum has been playing fantastic these entire playoffs. Now he just needs someone to be consistent alongside of him. Kemba Walker has been a little inconsistent. He had a nice game too here, but then Jalen Brown's a little inconsistent as well. He needs these guys to both be the players that they are, which is they're they're right around that all-star range. Kemba Walker is is an all-star is a former All-Star. Jason Tatum's an All-Star now. Jalen Brown is right at that All-Star threshold, possibly could get there next year. But he needs these guys to be consistent with him if they are going to hold on to leads like they had in Game 2 here and come away with some of these wins. But I still think the Celtics can do it, and I think the Celtics will come back from this 2-0 deficit, and they'll win this one in 7. I think this is going to be a really good series. All right, so then in the Western Conference, we have the Nuggets and Lakers. Nuggets come back from 2 3-1 deficits. They're down 3-1 in the first round to the Utah Jazz. No problem. They come back from 3-1, win that one in seven games. Then they come back in the second round, down 3-1 again, this time to the Los Angeles Clippers. Everyone writes them off. The Clippers are everybody's championship team. No problems there either. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard can't get it done, up 3-1. Nuggets win three in a row. They win that one in seven in seven games to get to the Western Conference Finals to face the Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers seemingly kind of cruise through their first two rounds, each win, winning each of them in five games, 4-1 in both of them. Now they're coming off six days of rest. They've lost game one in both of those series, and then they won four straight. So we'll see how, how game one goes. I think they play, I think it's tomorrow. So Friday night they play game one. Game two will be on Sunday then, so we'll see how those two come out at first. But this is going to be a tough matchup for the Nuggets in the sense where they didn't have a lot of size, the Clippers, when when and that's how the Nuggets were able to take advantage of Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, able to get whatever they wanted, whether they wanted to go to the rim, whenever they wanted to step out. But against the Lakers, the Lakers are a really big team. They've got three centers mostly on this team in Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, those two switch off. Who I don't know who the starter is from game to game. But then, of course, they have Anthony Davis at power forward, who's just basically a center at the power forward position. They have zero rim protection on, on the Nuggets, really, unless you put Mason Plumlee in there. But he's no match for, really, I don't think he's a match for any of the three that I just mentioned for the Lakers. So outside of Plumlee, I mean, they have no one that's going to be able to really stop Anthony Davis, I don't think. LeBron James, who are they really going to slow down with LeBron? I just think this is a mismatch for the Nuggets. You can't count them out, though. Like like I just mentioned, coming back from two 3-1 deficits, the first ones to do that in NBA history, can't count the Nuggets out. Will they get exhausted in this series with all the minutes that they've been playing their stars to come back from those 3-1 deficits? We'll see that as well. But I think the Lakers will advance in this one in six but it's still going to be a tough out because the, the Nuggets, you just can't rule them out at any point. And we've seen that now as, as they come back from two 3-1 deficits. But that's, that's, that's my thinking on the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. I've got the Lakers and the Celtics making it to the Finals, but we'll see. And, and we'll come back to this for sure as, as these games start moving along. We haven't seen a game from the Nuggets versus Lakers yet. Game one Friday. We've already seen two games from the Heat-Celtics. And the Heat are already up 2-0, so that'll be an exciting. Both are exciting 
matchups to watch. Everybody wanted Lakers versus Clippers. Now, of course, all the questions surrounds the Clippers of do you separate them after one year? Kawhi Leonard really only signed a two-year deal and could be a free agent after next season. Oh, my goodness. The speculation is, is all over the place on this team. So we'll, we'll see where they go from here. I mean, I think Doc Rivers now as well is the only coach to lose three series when he was leading 3-1 at some point. Only one. He has eight Game 7 losses as well as a head coach, so that's another thing that, that needs to be brought up in terms of what the Clippers can do in the offseason. Just a historic collapse in terms of everybody thought they were a, a championship-caliber team, a championship or bust team for sure, and they, they blow it against the Nuggets here when they had a 3-1 series lead. So we'll see what that leads for them coming in the offseason. Who knows how long the offseason is. I think they're planning on starting the, the next regular season in 2021, but we'll see. That's, that's a discussion for another time. And then last note here on the NBA is Giannis Attentacumpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks, of course, already mentioned this, losing to the Miami Heat in round two. Four to one, only getting one win off the Miami Heat. Giannis now, all the talk about whether he'll sign that Supermax, Will he stay in Milwaukee? Will he go to another championship caliber team? Will he will he leave Milwaukee is is the big question. And of course, everybody in Milwaukee not too phased. They're like they've got a chance. They had the number one team in the NBA this year. Just a lot of struggles in the playoffs. Is it the coach? Is it his supporting cast? Who knows what 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 the what the problem was this year? It could have been the the pandemic in the bubble atmosphere. But but the one thing that that happened recently that has got everyone, especially in Milwaukee, on their toes and, and just got the hair on the back of their neck standing up is Giannis on social media, both, I think, Instagram and his Twitter, unfollowed everyone except like 10 people, but unfollowed everyone on social media, including current Bucks teammates, front office people, his coach, the team profiles, makes you nervous. And, and the funny thing is, I was thinking about this when, when thinking about how I would talk about Giannis and the Bucks and how he'll come back next year. When a player does this, when something on social media like this happens to a player on a different team, it's hilarious to watch the fans and the media and, and everyone freak out in the, in the national media freak out over, oh boy, he's gone. And, and it's like, oh, it's fun to watch and sit back. It's not your team. You, you even kind of play into it. It's like, oh, maybe he'll come to my team. I don't know. You, you, you kind of sit back and laugh, and you think it's funny, right? But when it happens to your team, when it happens to your franchise, the, the, the team that you root for, boy, does it make you nervous. Gosh, I mean, I tell you what, I never bought into And even when I was, when, I, when other teams' players do this, I never, bought, I never really read into it as much. I just thought maybe he's taking a break from social media with all this stuff. I never read into it much, but when it happens to your guy, when it happens to your franchise player, it really makes you nervous. I tell you what, I'm reading everything. I'm seeing all this. I'm seeing Warriors. I'm seeing Mavericks. I'm seeing Raptors. I'm seeing the Miami Heat, and I'm just like, what is going on? When it happens to your franchise player, it is very different. I feel horrible for all the other teams and all the other players and all the other fans that have had to go through this where they're franchise star players have unfollowed their teammates their organization and all of a sudden they've had this panic surrounding them it's it's different when it's your own franchise player it's really funny to watch when it's not yours but when it's yours you'll feel the pain and, and the Milwaukee is feeling that and feeling real a little nervous right now of course everybody on the outside is all chill he'll stay in Milwaukee he actually just had a meeting with the ownership they said they're committed to building a championship contending supporting cast spending money on players as well on 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 more than just like Chris Middleton who they signed to a max deal. They have a second all-star on this team already. They have two all-defensive players on the team along with Giannis in Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez. Is it coach Bud? Could he be the problem? Is he he's not a free agent this year Giannis, but he is by the end of next season, which means if he doesn't plan to re-sign with the Bucks, they may end up trading him. So what does that mean? What are they going to spend on in this offseason? I mean, they had the number one team. It just they've fallen short in the playoffs two years in a row. So what, what is the changes that they plan on making? And, and I want to know what they've 
told Giannis, like, yeah, we'll go get this player, or yes, we'll bring back this cast plus someone else or something like that. What are the what are those kind of promises that they dis- that they gave Giannis to hopefully ease his concerns and then of course ease Milwaukee's concerns in hoping that he'll re-sign that Supermax personally. I don't think he'll leave Milwaukee, but he sure is going to make Bucks fans sweat and nervous until he does sign that five-year Supermax deal. We'll see. This is a huge offseason for Milwaukee in terms of what they do to make sure Giannis is happy and staying in Milwaukee. I never thought that this would be a huge deal in the first place, and then he had to go unfollow all of everything Milwaukee-related on social media and just put us in a panic. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm nervous when he did that, when I saw that. I never cared about it when it was other teams, but when it was Giannis with the Bucks, I'll tell you what, I read into it. I was nervous. I was like, oh, my goodness. He's so unhappy. He doesn't care about the what other teammates say. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to see that. He's focused on, oh, my goodness. I was nervous, but we'll, we'll see. Long off season. A lot of time for the Bucks to, to turn it back around. I, I personally don't think he's going to go anywhere, but I am nervous. So we'll, we'll have to see when it comes to that. All right, let's move on. MLB playoffs rapidly approaching. We're not going to talk about Giannis possibly leaving anymore. We'll talk about it more when we learn more. But, I mean, he unfollowed everybody. That's in the past. We got it out there. We're going to move on. We're going to move on because NBA MLB excuse me, playoffs are rapidly approaching. Here are the current playoff teams in both the American League and National League. We'll start in the American League. The Chicago White Sox, believe it or not, have the number one seed in the AL right now. Tampa Bay Rays. Oakland A's are your division leaders. Then you've got, there's eight teams per division, right? Or per league right now, American League, National League, remember. So then also after those three division leaders, we got the Minnesota Twins, New York Yankees, Houston Astros, Toronto Blue Jays, Cleveland Indians. Those right now are your top eight. And by a couple of games, those would be the teams in the playoffs right now. I'm not sure if much is going to change. Maybe some jockeying in position right there. But those look to be your current playoff teams in the American League. Now to the National League. We've got the Los Angeles Dodgers at one. They've already clinched a playoff berth. San Diego Padres in the same division there. They are the number two seed right now. Chicago Cubs, Atlanta Braves, those are the leaders of the NL Central and the NL East. And then rounding out the rest of the eight, you've got the Miami Marlins, the Cincinnati Reds, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the San Francisco Giants. Then you've got like four teams in the hunt to make the playoffs within maybe a game or two of those of those top eight. That's the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Rockies, and the Mets. I don't know how the Miami Marlins have stayed in this playoff contention and in this playoff race this entire season. I mean, they were supposed to be the team that almost had to cancel their season. If you remember the outbreak early on in the season, there was talks of, well, do we just play with 29 teams this year? And now here they are as the five seed currently in the playoffs. Same thing with with the San Francisco Giants, another team that was supposed to be nowhere near the playoffs if there was a if there was a normal regular season, but I love it, honestly. I love seeing these two teams in the playoffs. That would be absolutely hilarious. Say the Miami Marlins, they would play the Atlanta Braves in a three-game series to start the playoffs if the Miami Marlins somehow advanced in the playoffs as well. They were supposed to be the worst team in baseball if this was a regular year I think it's absolutely great this is why this is what people were kind of hoping for in a 60 game season is some of these unexpected teams making the playoffs maybe making a little bit of a run in the playoffs who knows but I mean just uh, kind of kind of fun to see some of these teams that would be have no chance of making the playoffs in a regular year now in the playoffs right now and clearly in the playoffs Miami's at a number five seed right now some of the other cool storylines to this shortened season, the San Diego Padres, I just mentioned they're the number two seed in the National League right now. They have four guys in the top 10 of RBIs this season. They've got two potential MVP candidates, Fernando Tatis Jr., who I mentioned maybe a couple episodes ago about those unwritten rules of baseball. He is absolutely electric for this Padres team. I believe he plays, see the third baseman or the shortstop? I think he's the shortstop for them. Either way, He's got, I think he's tied for the National League in home runs at 15. He's he's the leader in almost every major statistical category, or at least near the top, top, top five, top 10 
in all those major statistical categories. This guy could be the National League MVP. He has been absolutely fun to watch. The other National League MVP candidate, Mookie Betts. He absolutely loves it out here in L.A., and so he should with the season that he's been having. Another one of those guys, I think he's tied for the league in home runs, up there top five in RBIs as well. His batting average is in the top ten. This guy is having another MVP season. You remember he had an MVP season with Boston before he got traded here to L.A. this past offseason. So Fernando Tatis Jr., and Mookie Betts, I think, are your two National League MVP candidates. Mike Trout on the AL side, still the best player in baseball. And in a 60-game season, we don't see those small slumps that he has in a 162-game regular season. 60-game season, we're seeing the best of Mike Trout right now. This guy is unbelievable. The frequency that he is hitting home runs, the way he is, I mean, the, the Angels are still a horrible team. But just Mike Trout is trying to carry this team all that he can. But he, he obviously can't do it himself. But Mike Trout is just fantastic to watch. Another thing that is that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on, the Oakland A's. What are they at? The number three seed right now in the American League. Oakland has been waiting forever to get over that hump in the playoffs, whether it's the wild card round, whether it's the, the divisional round. I don't know when the last time was that they made it to the conference championship round. The Oakland A's look really good this year. The Houston Astros are struggling. Like I said, I think they're missing Jose Altuve right now, some of their other superstars. Not that we're actively rooting against them or anything this year, but anyways. But, I mean, they have a chance, Oakland A's. I think they're going to win their division in the AL West, so they'll host most likely the first and and maybe second round of the, the playoff games that they host. So I'd like to see the Oakland A's make a run in this postseason. If the Brewers don't make it, the Oakland A's might be my my team to, of choice to, to win the World Series. I, just the heartbreak that they have suffered year after year after good season. And then they, of course, just the way, I mean, you, you've all watched the movie Moneyball. I'm not sure if that's still how they decide which players to sign and which players to keep. But the way, there's just a super small market team and the way they're able to compete year after year still to this day is really fascinating to watch and you just feel horrible for them when they come short in the playoffs and then you've still got the Yankees they're in the playoffs but man I think Aaron Judge is still out Giancarlo Stanton is in and out of the lineup right now they got this guy Luke Voigt vote he leads the the entire major league baseball in home runs with 20 already at this point in 50 50 games or something like that so I mean he's the only one keeping them afloat but if the Yankees are still injured. I mean, I don't know if they'll be able to go anywhere in the playoffs, which, I mean, I never root for the Yankees at, at this point, but still, it'd be nice to see them at full strength and somebody take them on full strength. But anyway, baseball winding down here. We've got, I think the AL looks pretty set at this point with its eight teams. A lot of really close positions and jockeying to be done still in the National League. We'll see how it all plays out. Really, really fun 60-game season. Quick sprint to the finish. Like I said, can't take games off. We're still hoping every team gets that 60-game season in with the double headers that they've been doing. We'll see if they can finish it out strong. Then they'll get to a playoff bubble, and hopefully we won't have to worry about any outbreaks. We haven't had an outbreak since the Cardinals back maybe in the first third of the season. So we've been doing really good in baseball. Exciting. Hopefully we can make it to the end here. All right, so let's get to my final thought then today on the final, final podcast. Big Ten football is back. I mentioned this off the top. We begged for it. We begged for it, and it came back. We don't have a schedule yet. It's looking like we're going to get an eight-game conference schedule plus one non-conference game for each team. I think they're going to be starting October 24th weekend. That's when we'll see the Big Ten come back. Looks like they're going to do daily testing for these players but there's, there's a really thin margin for, uh, for cancellation and, when, and how these teams can proceed on. I believe they're, they're doing a colored system. So there's three tiers, green, orange, and red. The green tier is where you have below 2.5% positivity rate on your team. So if you have a couple players test positive, you, of course, isolate them. Don't let the rest of the team test positive and, and have an outbreak on the team. You're in the green 
orange, I believe, is from like two and a half percent to four and a half percent. So which means like you got to get those numbers to turn around. You can still continue your programs, your practices, your games. No need to postpone yet, but those numbers got to start trending downward. And then there's red, which is at 5%, 5% positivity rate on your team, and you start have to postponing games. You have to start postponing all events, practices, athletic events, workouts, and stuff like that. Thin parameters there, 5% on these teams when a lot of these these Big Ten teams and a lot of these college football teams have 80-plus players on the roster. So 5% is the parameter for when they have to start canceling events and, and practices and postponing games. We'll see. But it's back. That's that's the major thing. Our hopes are high. We're not thinking about cancellations right now. Big Ten football is back. Playoff implications, though, and bowl season for the Big Ten. Will they be able to start in time right now with what looks like it, they said is going to be a nine-game schedule for each team in the Big Ten? It looks like they'll be able to finish in time for the college football playoff committee to decide whether to add, say it's Ohio State, say it's Wisconsin or Penn State or something like that. It looks like the, they'll be able to finish their regular season in time. The Big Ten, or I'm sorry, the college football committee will still have to decide if nine games is enough to let them choose a Big Ten team to get in. What if teams in the SEC play 13 games or 12 games? Or teams in the ACC play 12 games and 13 games. Will they put in a team like Florida? Say it's Florida versus Ohio State. Ohio State's 9-0 and in their nine-game schedule in a Big Ten champion. Or would they put in Florida, who is 12-1 and with their only loss coming in the SEC championship against Alabama? That's something that the college football committee is still going to have to decide. I think it's going to be tough for to them to leave out a Big Ten team if they get it like that, whether it's Ohio State, most likely Wisconsin, you know. But either way, that's something that the, the college football committee will still have to decide. I think we'll have the Big Ten eligible for the college football playoffs, which is good at least. Another thing, though, that that, that, that I've heard this past week, which just kind of made me chuckle, but hopefully everyone was still okay, LSU coach Ed Orgeron said he thinks two-thirds of his team already possibly had the coronavirus and most of them have recovered so he (laughs) and i could totally just see this being an sec school thing where the coach goes all right everybody just go get this go get the coronavirus see you back here in three weeks don't have any problems this way you won't get it the rest of the season (laughs) but coach ed orgeron said i think two-thirds of my team has already had it so hopefully they don't catch it again (laughs) that was kind of his that was something that he said at a press conference this week. It just made me laugh. He's like, ah, they've already had it. Maybe they won't get it again, so we'll be able to play this season. And Wisconsin actually has had 42 positive tests. Could still be current positive tests or their past tests. We don't know what the the parameters are on those 42 tests. But they've had 42 players on their football team test positive at some point. So, I mean, the, we'll, we'll have student athletes test positive. But it looks like the Big Ten is starting to put in parameters for when that happens, when the team has to cancel practices, postpone games, when they can keep continuing to go. They're going to have, if a player tests positive, they're going to have him wait. I believe it's it's two weeks. They're going to go over a bunch of heart testing because of the of course of the potential long-term effects that, that COVID could have on some of these players. So they're going to make sure that these guys are good to go. If they test positive, it looks like it's all coming around. Big 10 will be back October 24th. I can't wait. Now the next thing that we're waiting for is the schedule to see. Because once the schedule comes out, then you'll be able to see why Wisconsin, not Ohio State, will be making the college football playoffs. You'll see. Just wait for the schedule. Then we'll get to the Big 10 championship game. Knock on wood, of course. (laughs) All right. And then final, final thought here on this podcast episode. We have the U.S. Open this weekend, Fall Major Golf. How great is that? Look at this sports schedule possibly on Sunday. So we'll have the final round of the U.S. Open, a full slate of NFL games, Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Nuggets, a full slate of MLB games, and possibly Game 1 of the NHL Finals. I think that I think we now have the final set. I think it's the Dallas Stars 
and the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk about that more on next, next week's episode. But just amazing how much content that we'll have to watch. Just overwhelming amount. Sports have been back for quite a while, but this is the pinnacle now. With the NFL fully back, college football working its way back. The ACC has already started games. I think, I think the SEC starts not this weekend, but next weekend, or maybe it's two weeks. But either way, SEC is coming back. Like I just said, of course, Big Ten's coming back, and now we have fall golf as well. I mean, we'll we'll have the U.S. Open this weekend. Dustin Johnson has been on fire. John Ram right behind him. Bryson DeChambeau, everyone's new favorite golfer, just destroying golf balls. Doesn't matter what the hole, if, if you need to lay up on the hole, he's hitting driver off of every tee shot, which is what everybody, every like just normal casual fan loves to see because that's what they would do if, if they had the choice when it comes to golfing, if they could golf as well as some of these guys, but it's just hilarious. Justin Thomas is having been, has been having a great year as well, but I'll tell you this. If Tiger Woods is in contention on Sunday, the U.S. Open final round may be the most watched sporting event this weekend over the NFL, over the NBA, over the NHL if we get game one of of the NHL finals, Stanley Cup finals. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Tiger Woods was in contention. Or I'm sorry, if he if he's in contention, Tiger Woods and the U.S. Open golf will be the number one watched sport. Just amazing competition that these sports are having over viewership. People can only watch so much at once. It's fantastic. I love it. All these sports now that we're getting, I'm having I'm having to like not talk about stuff on my podcast with all the sports that we're getting right now. Like right now I'm sk- skipping the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. I think we're set. Like I said, Dallas Stars and Tampa Bay Lightning. I talked about NFL Week 1. NBA, we've got the Western Conference Finals. MLB is winding down towards its playoff bubble. We've got U.S. Open Golf. And now we've got the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, and I almost forgot, college football is back as well. Too much. No such thing. I love it. So here we go. Pinnacle of sports right now, and we're going to have it this weekend. Full slate of NFL games. A Western Conference Final game. U.S. Open Final Round. A full slate of MLB games. And possibly the start of the Stanley Cup Finals all in one day. Get yourselves ready for it. All right. That's all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Make sure to listen on either Apple or Spotify. Let others know as well. Very exciting. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We're hopefully now getting into a regular schedule of episodes as well with the NFL being back and my schedule now starting to make more sense. All right. Thanks for listening this week. Make sure to turn it, tune in to my next episode as well. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Stay sane. And that is the final final.